Glory City West, which is based in Ipswich. Um, they, we've actually known them since, we've worked it out, 2013 when we first met these guys. And I was sharing with Joel uh, yesterday, one thing that I, I love particularly about these guys is, um, firstly, they, they value relationship, they value family as is personified through their life. But also what, what they're carrying right now is, um, I've actually had the chance to meet Joel's mum. I haven't met your dad yet. Um, but Joel's parents are a part of the underground church in China for how many? almost 30 years. So we're talking like being smuggled in the back of boots and going through crazy stuff <laughs> um, for the gospel. And talking to Joel's mum, I forget her name, Debbie. Debbie, talking to Debbie, she's like, Dave, Joel and Candace carry a spirit of revival. Everywhere that they go, they, they, they deposit God's heart like a spirit of awakening, of revival. This is like a, talk about a proud mum for a son and daughter-in-law. And knowing them, I've seen it to be true. Wherever they go, they deposit a fresh, uh, I suppose, revelation or awakening of the heart of God for the harvest, the heart of God for the lost, the heart of God to live in the fullness of what God purchased for him. They're traveling, again, Philippines next month. They're traveling all over the world with a young family. Um, so they carry this heart of revival, the Holy Spirit working through the church. But they also carry a heart of discipleship. And I think that we've, we've learnt that over the course of this weekend, that they want to be able to mobilize the church to um, actually have a, a wineskin that can house what God desires to do on the face of the earth. And the marriage of this spirit of awakening and revival partnered with strategic vision to see it sustained and come to pass is Joel and Candace. So they're a gift to the church. And I want to just honor them and thank you guys for coming up and just create, um, I suppose, an openness in all of your hearts to receive from what they have to say today. So, love you guys. Awesome. Man, it's so good to be here with you guys. Is that um, keynote good to go? Uh, we are uh, falling more and more in love with your community and, uh, and more in love with Darwin. I tell you what, you guys... Uh, I mean, we have an amazing harvest field, but you guys have, oh, it's like, this is next level stuff. I mean, just going to, what was that, that area that we just went to? Bagot, yeah, oh my goodness. How many of you have been, have done sort of any mission stuff out into Bagot? I mean, the, you don't need to, to jump on a plane to go to a, a different country to do missions. It's literally in, in your backyard, so... It's so amazing, and um, we're just so, so encouraged by what the Lord is doing. Thank you, Father. Connect in Jesus' name. Well, praise the Lord for Australia. What a victory. Scott Morrison, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believer. I think that there was something on Facebook today that he said he, he made his way to church. I, I think it was on the ABC, the front cover is Scott Morrison in church with his hands raised singing, singing a worship song. So I think that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for this community. We thank you for this region. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing here. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the lives, for the uh, six decisions for Christ and the potential rededication. Lord, even today, Lord, we thank you, Father, that you would continue to move in their hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this region. We thank you, Father, that, you are, that your kingdom is coming forcefully in Jesus' mighty name. We pray, amen.
Amen. Well, if that doesn't come up, maybe uh, it's going to come up. Maybe you could just uh, help scroll. Oh, there we go. Beautiful. Oops. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No worries. Thank you, Lord. Well, so many good things have been happening. I just heard a report from the team on, uh, on Saturday. Uh, already we're seeing people that are the most introverted people stepping out and leading people to Christ. Uh, it just absolutely thrills my heart when I hear uh, people sharing the three circles for the first time. How many of you have shared the three circles with somebody uh, before? Yeah. How many of you are doing silence breakers or have done silence breakers? I suppose we, we're finishing tonight. So that actually, you do not want to miss tonight. If you're a couple weeks behind, Nathaniel has something really, really, not tonight, sorry, tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow night is the finale, and uh, he's got something really, really exciting. But uh, just talking about discipleship, I've got something on my heart, but uh, just before I go there, um, when I was in um, Baguette, I, I, really, I really saw a picture of what the Lord could, uh, could do. And I believe that the Lord, honestly, the indigenous community has been so massively on my heart. I believe that, that, that we're seeing some key people at peace. And God is doing something so incredibly powerful um, within the communities. I really believe that the Lord, is, it's going to continue to spread throughout Arnhem Land and beyond. Uh, we're, I was so encouraged to see what, what's happening with Bunnenbeer and different things like that. But uh, I want to show you a, a little testimony a few years ago. Um, we met two Iranian guys out in Woodridge which is kind of the lowest socioeconomic area in Logan, which is close to Brisbane. And Nathaniel and myself were considering moving into that area to be a witness there. And we met two Iranian guys, and they were playing tennis. They didn't, uh, they didn't know a lot about, um, they didn't know much English at all, in fact. Uh, but we shared with them. They came to church on Sunday. And uh, the next, following week, we baptized the two of them. And then we continued to disciple them. But I, I got to say, the initial stages of discipleship was very challenging. In fact, we had to go over every week to their home, knock on their door. Most of the time, Farmas, who, who's the guy that we were discipling, he would be asleep on the couch. We'd be bringing Bible stories and things like that, but he would just kind of be lazing, <laughs> lazing around. There was one time that we turned up to their house and uh, knocked on their door, and we heard a little scuffle in the house, and then everything went silent. And all you could is, is smell is, is puffs of smoke start coming out from underneath the door, and they didn't answer the door the entire time. They were having, they were having a session. So uh, <laughs> this was the first three months that we were involved with these guys, and we were investing quite a significant portion of time. And, you know, I, I think that evangelism is exciting when you get those testimonies, you hear those stories that are coming back. We, we get to celebrate, but the long-term discipleship is really where it's at because we're not just simply looking for decisions, we're make, looking for disciples. You know, I believe that one of the major reasons that we're not seeing explosive uh, multiplication in the church today is what we define success. You see, pastors are simply counting attendance and evangelists are counting decisions but i believe that the real number that counts is disciples in fact you see that where paul goes out and through they preach in an area and they made many disciples go into the world preach the gospel to all nations make disciples of all nations in matthew 28 
So anyway, this is uh, after discipling this one man. I believe that he truly is, a, it was a, a person of peace and still is. And because of him, he opened up his oikos, his relational network to us. And uh, so here's a little video of what happened um, as we started to gather some of these ones together. In fact, if you see in the picture, we, uh, all these guys speak Farsi, and we had to actually import a guy to, to share the gospel to them from Sydney in Farsi, and have a look what happened. <laughs> That's only a small portion of the ones that we baptized. I think there was about 60 of them. And I remember Farmas coming to me. In fact, um, we, uh, we made a bit of a mistake. We put that up on social media, and that got back to Iran. His father's actually an imam in one of the key mosques there, and because of that, he got uh, some significant death threats. And you know what's amazing that he, uh, I won't go into all the stories, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal story of restoration there. I saw him a couple weeks ago. But he started to lead his friends and, and family to the Lord over Skype in Iran. There was one day that he came up to me and he says, hey, he goes, he goes Joel, can you baptize people over Skype? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't heard of that. Maybe if you get a, maybe if you get a, you know, like a, a, a waterproof phone. Um, but uh, so he started leading people to the Lord. He, we actually had him live with us in our house. That was probably the, the, the time that I guess we would have be closest to having some kind of real danger when it comes to the gospel. Obviously, I grew up in China. We got kicked out, but we weren't any sort of bodily harm. But uh, it is possible that they could have sent some kind of uh, hitman to come and get Farmas while he was uh, living with us. But it's a picture of what the Lord can do through a single individual, a person of peace, where they begin to open up their relational network. And I honestly believe that, you know, some of the, some of the areas that we were in, in fact, just yesterday, can we just, can we pray for the, the Cambodian, uh, Cambodian Buddhist association or whatever. I, I believe that that's absolutely key. And uh, we got to meet one of the ladies there yesterday. She was super open, got to pray for her. Um, and uh, pain left, uh, left her shoulder, which was, uh, which was just so exciting. And so this is, I mean, you have the nations here. Like, I mean, there's a multicultural business, uh, a multicultural 
area right there, there's a Filipino thing, there's a Cyprus thing, there's a the Cambodian Buddhist Association. The nations are literally at your doorstep. This is a phenomenal opportunity. Uh, I want to show you one other illustration of a person of peace. Um, this here, this guy's name's Fights, F-A-I-T-S. And uh, I met him about a year ago, and I was praying to uh, find a person of peace. And I was driving along uh, the road in our area in Goodna, and I, out of the, the, the side of my eye, I, I caught a glance of this guy sitting down on a, on a bench there. And so I had to do a U-turn, and I pulled up, and I jumped out of my car. I didn't know what I was going to say to him. I just walked straight up to him, <laughs> and I said, hey, man, look, God just highlighted you to me. And uh, I was wondering if there was anything that I could pray for. And he says, look, I've just come to the end of my rope. My family's just kicked me out of the house. I'm an alcoholic. And so this started a journey that we started to journey with him for several months. And uh, then we got him into a rehab. And it was just such a tremendous joy to journey with him in his, his whole household. And uh, this, was, uh, this was, I think this was last year that we got to uh, bring him up on stage with his family. The cool thing is we had them over at, uh, at our house. We were having them over at our house weekly and just building relationship with them. And uh, Moy, the, the, um, the fights' his wife, says, says to us with tears in her eyes, she says, you guys are more like family to us than our natural family. She says, we, will, we really love you guys. She said, but for the first three months that you were coming over to our house, she said, I, I didn't believe that you were the real deal. She said, I was kind of rolling my eyes when you were coming around and, and everything, but she, her heart was totally turned around. And I think that this is the power in being able to find persons of peace because we don't need to win every single person in the neighborhood. I was just going out with Sharon. You know, we, we, uh, we got to talk with some people here and there. But when we find the person of peace, there's somebody in the neighborhood that is already connected, but God is moving on their hearts that they can begin to be used to reach their neighborhood. So the thing is, if I went to Moy's house and I knocked on her door first and she'd open it, she probably would say she wasn't interested. But fights was the person of peace for me that God had already pre-prepared. And when I connected with him and began to disciple him, it opened the door to be able to reach his, his family. Come on. How many believe that there are many persons of peace that God is raising up in this area? Hey, I want Gus to just come and uh, share a little bit of uh, his, I'm going to put him on the spot, a little bit of his heart and his journey in this whole thing, pursuing no place left. Put your hands together for Gus. Gee, thanks. Shirava. <laughs> um, okay, where do I even start? The, the first time I heard about the no place left kind of vision, was when you guys did a training in Glory City. It was just before I went to India. And they had, they had a stats like, oh, this guy saw 1.7 million baptisms in like nine and a half years. I was just like, far out. Like, I don't care if it's structured. If it's got results like that, I'm going to do it, hey. So that was the first like little buy-in from me. But um, 
I was just grappling on, on the process of how to do it. So that was a few months, and I think one of the defining points of seeing it myself was when I was um, in Goodna, and I was pr we were actually together, and we prayed for this guy. Was just we were just stopped for this guy playing the guitar, and we were just praying for him. But he was not really interested. He was just kind of he was just bored, really. Um, so we kind of left eventually after 10 minutes or so. And as I was just standing in the shopping center, this guy runs up to me. He said, hey, are you a Christian? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, can you come and pray for my wife? And they, him and his wife, Emmanuel and Sheena, had been sitting on the bench listening to our conversation. So sometimes you don't even realize who's listening in here. And um, so... So we, I go over and I pray for his, her, his wife and her back is healed. And I, I kind of invite myself over to the house. Like, who loves Todd White, how he, he doesn't really ask for permission to, when he prays. He just like, just prays. So I kind of enjoy that because I'd rather just ask for forgiveness afterwards than ask for permission first. So, so I invite myself to the house and they say, yeah. And so I go the next day to the house and we had a few um, week meetings, and then my wife and I went to India. So we, we had to like ask Vanessa and them to take over. And the, one of the things is, it's not actually a quick, a quick process. We, get, we see results all the time, or we see all these numbers, but it's what Joel was talking about before, how it's actually like in for the long haul. And we've had many conversations with them, and it's like, yeah, kids are coming, and they wanted to meet up, but then they fall off again, and they kind of don't answer the calls anymore, and they go back to whatever addictions. Um, but how cool, yesterday he, pho he phoned me after months of, of broken contact, pulls on my heart. He phoned me and was like, man, do you think God will still forgive me if I, if I come back to him? I was like, wow. So that was, that was emotional. Um, and fortunately, my wife and I have actually moved closer to the area. So when we get back, we can try as best we can to get back into the rhythm of seeing them off, um, often and regularly. Um, and just to help out because they've lost their kids, like the foster, foster um, care system. So it's, it's, um, it's actually like the real deal. It's not so much just getting on the pulpit and, and saying a, a message, which is good. I'm not backing it out. But it's like it's in the trenches where it's, it's tough and people, people ignore you or people don't rock up or people just seemingly let you down. You know, it's, it's your unconditional love is really tested in those situations. And it's like, um, it's a moment where you actually prove that you, you're in it not for yourself and for other people that you encounter. So that was, um, that, was that incident. And I guess, I guess working with Joel, I've just been inspired by his consistency and his life laid down for having all these ministry pools and like, such a talented guy that he is, could, could do any, could, he could do any stadium events. I think even um, the Awakening Tour, he was, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were asked to, do, to be on the band, um, but you were just so dedicated to pursue discipleship of what God was calling you to do that you had to say no. And I, um, that's true, right? Well, I, didn't, I didn't mess it up. That's true. So I, I think that's just um, such an awesome example to see someone that is so sold out the Father's heart, not just some public kind of um, appeal or, or ministry. So, yeah, so you, you inspire me. I'm one <laughs> in the books now. And, uh, yeah, so that's my kind of journey. 
and um, I'm keen to, I actually, my wife and I are moving to the Tablelands at the end of the year and uh, to pursue church planning and movements. And so my, yeah, so my life's down and I'm, I'm keen, to, keen, to sue, keen, to sue, keen to see Australia one for Jesus. Yeah, amen. So good. So good, man. We love, we love Gus. He's absolutely sold out his life for the sake of the gospel. And uh, I just want to see if, I don't know if this is going to work, but uh, uh, we have a, if you just want to key that one over, I just want to give you a little picture of, uh, of our team. Uh, these are some of our team. That, I'm so proud of them. Uh, we have a team we call Kingdom Family on Mission, and we meet on Wednesday nights, and we do family. And it's just amazing what the Lord is doing there. And then they're actually committed to actually going out into the harvest um, for about two and a half hours on a Saturday. And we're just seeing incredible things. Just heard back from them. Uh, some of the results, but I just want you to uh, see some of their, um, their passion there. Are we able to key that through? If not, that's all good. If, if there's one thing that I, could, uh, that I could really encourage you, if you would consider, prayerfully consider, actually spending an intentional at least one hour per week in the harvest, that's an intent. How many know that, that we want to do uh, you know, we want to do it as a lifestyle, that as we go, we share the gospel. I think that that's a powerful uh, way to be able to live, but I think that there's also an intentionality in going to be able to create intentional space. And I just think like, uh, you know, th this, this region that we just went to, imagine if we had a group of people that would go there for an hour, two hours per week and actually meet with these people on a regular basis. Imagine what we could actually see. How many think that that would be a worthwhile investment? Come on, I've only got one life to live. I've only got one life to give. And I, I tell you what, I, I have a pretty busy schedule, so it actually takes an, uh, an amount of intentionality to be able to carve out time to spend in the harvest. But I believe that truly that is where Jesus is meeting people. You know, Jesus says if you, if you have, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, where it talks about the judgment at the end, it says that uh, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And they say, when, did I, when were you naked? When were you hungry? When were you thirsty? It says, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it to me. Do you know, I actually think that there's an expression in worship that we get to experience corporately that is so incredibly powerful, but an expression of worship that we will never be able to experience until we're actually ministering to the lost and to the broken. He doesn't say, it's like you're ministering to me. It actually says, you're, it's, it's as you are ministering to me. That when we get to heaven, these are the moments that we actually get to express our life poured out as worship before him. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So we are, are actually looking at... Um, uh, one of the things, if uh, some of you are interested, you can see uh, Naomi. I've designed last year, I so believe in this, that I put hours and hours of time into creating a course called the Multiple Harvesters, which is a one hour per week training, and, uh, and then sending people out into the harvest for an hour and a half. And so we're already with the round two of, through our church. We've got about 30% of our church actually doing this. People that are the most introverted people, it actually takes you through step by step from 
just starting with a prayer walk. How many that, that might be afraid to step out could say, hey, I could, I could prayer walk a neighborhood. That's a, a fairly easy place to start, right? And then to observe somebody else that's confident and then beginning to step them through this process into beginning to see not only people come to Christ, but disciples that are making disciples. Amen? All right. I'm going to come back to that. But if you, I want you to turn, I want to talk about, um, I want you to turn to uh, Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And before I read that, I had a, uh, I had a photo of myself uh, from last year when we were in the Philippines, around about the same time, and uh, I wanted to illustrate with the photo uh, that I was about 11 or 12 kilos less than I am right now. I was suffering with uh, a chronic issue. The doctors couldn't tell me exactly what it was. I had severe gut pain. Uh, I would be waking up in the middle of the night. I would have, have insomnia due to this, um, th these gut issues. And, uh, you know, I had to go, anybody heard of the GAPS diet? This is a crazy diet that you have to go, like you have to cook broth. You have to get a whole chicken, put it into the water and boil it for two hours. And then that's all you're allowed to eat. And then you begin to add something into it. You add vegetables. Everything has to be cooked in bone broth. I couldn't eat bread, I couldn't eat sugar, I couldn't eat dairy, I couldn't eat anything except for things that are cooked in the bone broth. And then if I start to skip through that, then I'm, I'm like, I remember going over to my brother-in-law's house and having a meal, and uh, I was just, for two days, it was like a rock in my stomach, just so, and they, they cooked organic stuff and everything. And I'm like, I'm about two months off going to the Philippines. And I'm like, if, when I get to the Philippines, I can't, the, the, they can't cater to my diet. Like if you've ever been to the Philippines, you know, that there's a lot of, you know, processed food and things that you have to just literally eat on the fly. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And I'm just dropping kilos by the day. I'm trying to force feed myself and I'm, I'm looking like I, I, I'm in a concentration camp. And so, and it wasn't good. You know, I, I realize that for about probably, um, I would say, 10 years, I started to see some incredible miracles in my life, well, through my life anyway. And, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. Uh, I, you know, we've seen some of the most amazing things out on the streets, some things that I've actually really expected that the Lord would do, and then other times when I actually didn't expect anything would happen. I remember being on the streets, and this guy came up to me, and he said, hey, would you pray for my arm? I said, sure. And uh, he looks, he shows me his arm, and his arm had actually been fused incorrectly. So there was a huge lump that was sticking out of his arm like that. I said, and I believe that he could have been healed with any pain that he had. And so I asked him, I said, Did you, do you have any pain in your arm? And he says, no, nah, I don't have any pain in my arm, but I'd, I'd like it to get fixed. There we go. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's like, can you pray for it anyway? I'm like, all right. 
I'll give it a go. I didn't really believe much was going to happen, but we prayed for his arm, and when we took our hand off of his arm, it was completely and totally flat. I don't know what the Lord did. He obviously clicked it back into place or something like that, and he's freaking out. We're freaking out. I didn't even feel like I had faith for that miracle. I certainly can't take credit for that. There was another time that, that uh, I went into what we call the, the smoking pit. And in fact, there was a time where the, uh, the security would actually kick people out if you're not smoking. So we, we considered taking, you know, taking a little roll of uh, you know, paper just to kind of get in there so we could minister to people. We never went through that, but that's okay. But we went in there, and there was a guy with a cast on his arm, and we went up to him and said, hey, man, I would love to be able to pray for your cast. He goes, man, I don't believe in that beep. Get lost. And he took off. And a bunch of his friends left, but there was one guy that was left, and he, he uh, came up to me. He goes, oh, can you pray, can you pray for my tongue? He says, well, what's, what's going on with your tongue? He said, I just got my tongue pierced. You got your what? I looked at my tongue pierced. He had his tongue pierced 10 minutes before, apparently. So his, his tongue was swollen fat. And this the first thing that I thought, oh, I can't pray for him because it was self inflected. It's kind of legal. So I'm looking for somebody else, but there was nobody else around. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm going to pray for him. You know, I'll just, I'll just pray for him and then, and then see what kind of happens from there. And I actually have that video. I could sh I post it up on my Facebook. We take him to the other, other side and, and he goes, he goes, oh, bro, can you take the swelling down? I said, uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> so we pray for him. And I said, in Jesus' name, we just, we just command all the pain to leave and all the swelling to go. And then he opens his mouth and he sticks it down. And he goes, oh, you, he goes like, back like that. He goes, you fellas, ghosts or something. I said, what's happening? I said, how's it feeling? He's all oh, 200%, man, completely healed. He sticks out his tongue and I saw it before, before my own eyes. It was fat as anything and he stuck it out and it was completely smooth. The swelling had been taken down in a single moment. Do you know, I went back to the same place the following week, and we'd filmed it on my wife's little, uh, little pink iPod before the, uh, the days of the iPhone, and uh, I took it out to the group, and the same guy with the cast in his arm was there, and I went up to him and said, hey, man, did you realize that your friend got healed last time? He goes, no, nah, I don't believe in that stuff. I said, have a look at this. And so I start praying, playing the video, and all the guys around, he's like, you know what? You actually have to believe this. We know this guy. So he, he let me pray for him. So he's like, okay, yeah, go ahead and pray for him. I said, are you in any, any pain? He says, I'm not in any pain right now, but I've still got a significant amount of time to have this cast on before they take it off. I mean, there's, there's a lot of healing that still needs to happen. And so, um, and so yeah, so his, his arm was, was, was like that. And so the guy that was next to him, uh, actually says, oh, can you pray for me? I said, sure. What can I pray for you for? And he goes, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm trying out for this BMX sponsorship. And <laughs> I'm like, all right. So, what was he, British? Yeah. We're trying out for this BMX sponsorship, yeah. Now, he was, uh, I prayed, so I prayed for him, like, Lord, would you just deal with everything that's happening with this BMX sponsorship, but would you touch him with your Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name? And so we just kind of left it at that. He didn't have any pain in his body. And the following week, I went back out. This guy that had the cast on his arm, that the first week he totally blew me off. The second week, 
He didn't have any pain, but I prayed for him. And the guy with the BMX sponsorship, wanted the BMX sponsorship, came up to me. He had no cast on his arm. He said, I took it off the following day, and look at this. I'm completely healed. But the crazy thing is, his friend that was right next to him, he says, and guess what? He said, the following day, I got the BMX sponsorship. I didn't believe him. I'm like, nah, you're having me on. And about three or four of these guys are like, no, actually, I was there when it happened. <laughs> Come on, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly far greater than anything that we could ask or we could imagine. He just needs yielded vessels. I love what, uh, I love what Randy Clark says. How do you know that you have faith to be able to heal the sick? Will you pray for the sick? I also love what he says. He says that if you have to beg God to heal somebody, you are assuming that you have more mercy than God. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. How many can quote that off the top of your head? No one? Okay. I'll give you, I'll give you the first line. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this word, be, but be transformed. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. And what is the result? What is the result of the transformation and the renewing of the mind? That we may be able to what? Prove. Prove what? The good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Some guys actually think that there are three women. Three potential women. So you got the good that you could marry. You got the acceptable. It's a little bit less. Or you got the perfect that you could wait out for. It, it, it's not talking about three separate will, <laughs> different kinds of the will of God. It's three, it's three descriptions of the will of God. It's the, good, it's the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. It's one will of God. Now, how do we know what the will of God is? Jesus says to pray this prayer. What's, what's the Lord's prayer or the apostles' prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is the will of God according to this prayer? The kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Now let me ask you this question. Is 100% of what is happening today the will of God? Clearly not, because Jesus wouldn't tell us to pray for thy will to be done if 100% of what is happening today is already the will of God. Is that good theology or not? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, when we look to the realm of the heavenlies, do we see any sickness? So therefore, when we pray for people in Acts, um, <clears throat> Acts 10, 38, it says, Jesus went about doing good and healing most of those that were oppressed of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus went about doing good and healing how many? 
all that were pressed to the devil. So that means every person that, how many know that Jesus didn't heal every single person that he came in contact with? There was the pool of Bethesda. There was a bunch of sick people around and he healed the one guy. But what we do know is that every person that came to Jesus was healed. Remember F.F. Bosworth says, the will of God, the, sorry, faith begins where the will of God is known. Are you okay? Okay, so when we, will, when we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, the transformation of the renewing of our mind means that we actually become conduits of heaven, being able to what? Starts with a P. Prove the will of God. The perfect, the acceptable, the good will of God. Say, I am called to prove the will of God. Okay, let me just take you through one thing. Now, remember, this is, I'm going through this, this sickness here. What do you do when you, have, when you have experienced many miracles? How many have experienced a miracle in your life or seen it happen through your own hands? What do you do... When you have lived a lifestyle of, of the miraculous, but yet healing is not manifesting in your own life. Have you ever been in a position where you've been prayed for a hundred times and nothing has happened? Have you, have you ever been in, in a situation, I, I gotta say, I was in the situation where I'm be like, you know, bring it on, Somebody's, somebody needs to be prayed for because they're sick and I'm ready to jump on that and ready to pray for that. But then I, my, my back is hurting or something else is going on in my body and then there's, a, there's like a word of knowledge that comes forth and it's just like, man, I don't wanna put my hand up because I know if I stand up and people are gonna wanna pray on me and then they're gonna ask me how it's gonna feel. I'm just being real. How do you get out of that? You see, either I could lower my theology to my experience or I could fall into condemnation and say, man, something is really wrong with me. See, we could actually potentially either lower our perspective on what the will of God is. But guess what? Here's the disciples, the epileptic boy. Jesus goes up into the Mount Transfiguration. He takes three guys with him. There's a father when his epileptic boy comes and brings him to the rest of the disciples. How many disciples are left? There's nine of them, right? Twelve disciples. Three are gone of the top. So these are, these are, the, these are, the, these are the guys. These are the Benny Hens. These are the Reinhardt Bonkies. These are the guys that all pray for this one guy. And does he get healed? Does the epileptic boy get healed? No. So if the story had ended there, we could easily draw a conclusion and say, well, actually, in certain circumstances, it is not God's will to heal people because clearly he didn't get healed. Are you with me? But do we know if it was God's will for him to be healed or not? How many think yes? How many unsure? How do we know that it was God's will for him to be healed? 
How do we know? <laughs> Jesus healed him. So what's the go with that? Eight disciples, and these guys, I reckon, I reckon that they felt like they actually had faith. You know, these guys had been out, and they, they, they said, well, you know, we, we, even the demons know us, but they were confused. Like, I don't have a full time to really jump into that. I'd love to actually read that passage with you. It's amazing how much is in there. But the disciples like, how could we, we couldn't cast out the demon? And what was Jesus' response? Comes out and by prayer and fasting, he talks about unbelief. Only this kind, we're good in first generation. Only this kind, one, one uh, gospel says prayer, the other one says prayer and fasting. Now, I don't believe that it was actually to do, Bill Johnson's commentary on this is that it's not actually to do with the demon, but to do with the unbelief. Because Jesus neither prayed nor did he fast at that time when he cast the demon out. But Jesus certainly went through a period of time where he was fasting and he was praying. But that was have, having to do with the unbelief. So, who was able to prove what the will of God was? Jesus. Jesus operating in the fullness of the transformation, the renewed mind was able to operate to be able to manifest and prove what the will of God was. The disciples in that particular moment were unable to prove what the will of God was. Why? It was some form of unbelief. So here's where I'm at. Last year, I believe that, that I could pray for the sick, in, in particular people on the streets, and the majority of people would get healed. But I'm in a situation where I've been prayed for a hundred times. My gut is getting worse and worse and worse. And I almost have an expectation the next time that somebody prays for them, I've already got experience in my past because if you pray for me, I just feel the same. You pray for me, and I feel the same. It's actually creating a stronghold. I theologically believe that God wants to heal me, but from a subconscious level, I already am predicting what is going to happen next based on my experience. Are you with me? So, let's ha have a look at, um, let's have a look at uh, Hebrews chapter 1, sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, 1, the great verse on faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's amazing to me that faith is actually a substance, the substance of things hoped for. What is, if we want to know what faith is, we have to look at hope. What is hope? The joyful, the eager expectation of good. It's not just some kind of wishful thinking. What happens when somebody gets hopeless? Have you noticed, have you heard the stories of somebody's, you know, they're diagnosed with a terminal illness, but they still are hanging on. They're believing that something's going to happen, you know? But then what happens is that they lose the image of anything else further happening. 
And when hope is gone, hope is actually the image, a picture of something that is positive to come. In fact, in Romans chapter 4, it says, hope that is seen is no hope, that at, all, that, uh, no hope at all. It's a picture. We do not look with our natural eyes, but we look into the realm of the unseen. We begin to hope. But hope, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's that when that hope has become, has transitioned from hope, and it has become a reality to us. Look at the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood, she'd tried everything. She'd been to every doctor that she possibly could have been to. And nothing was happening, but then she heard that Jesus was coming into town. What did she say to herself? If I could just, what? Touch the hem of his garment that I would be healed. See, I believe that, that that woman would have pictured that scenario in her mind. She had a hope image, the possibility that Jesus is coming to, into town. She heard the testimonies of people that had been healed. Come on. And so she had a picture of what could happen in her life. And I believe that at one point that that, that hope image had, be, had substance and it had become faith for her. That when she came to the situation, she'd already seen it in her mind a million times. And when she reached out and she took a hold of the hem of Jesus' garment, what happened? Boom. Virtue flowed from Jesus into the woman. What, did Jesus initiate that virtue flowing? She drew on the anointing that Jesus carried. I actually believe that there's something that we can build because there's, there's the law, there's laws of, in physics and there's laws in the supernatural, sowing and reaping, that when faith is present, that things begin to manifest. Now, I've been through some, tr some tremendous situations that has really challenged my faith, but I believe that there is a way. How, how do you come to a point where you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and nothing has happened? How do you get to a point to begin to continue to build your faith? I'll have to come back next year to tell you about it. <laughs> Face of the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Do you know Jesus, I believe that Jesus was actually bringing his disciples into a place. You know, in fact, Jesus says, it is, better, it is better for me that I go. There's a time where he says, how long must I be with you? I actually think that it is connected, it is that the duration of Jesus' earthly ministry was directly correlated to his disciples to get it. I could expound on that, but you actually see that there's a series of stories. Remember, Jesus is the wind and the waves. He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. They wake him up, and Jesus commands the wind and the waves to stop. Then there's the feeding of the 5,000. The miracle happens in their hands. Can you imagine being there where you're actually, Jesus is breaking off a, a bit of bread, and then you've got 50 people over there you're going to feed, and there's just more and more and more bread that's just going over in this section. Isn't that amazing? And then Jesus sends them off, and he says, I'm going to pray. I'll see you guys on the other side. The disciples go in the same situation that they were in before. The wind and the waves, they're straining against the wind and the waves. 
And, and Jesus goes for a stroll. Isn't it a bizarre story? I think it's Mark chapter 6. Goes for a stroll, and it says he would have passed them by. What was he expecting them to do? He wasn't, he wasn't coming to the rescue. What was, he, what was he expecting them to do? Come on, guys. I've modeled a lifestyle. I spoke to the wind and the waves. He commanded the wind and the waves to stop. Now the miracles happen in their hands, and it says that the disciples, they feared, but because they didn't understand because of the loaves and the fishes. They didn't understand of the loaves and fishes. When I first read that, I'm like, what does that, what does the wind and the waves have to do with loaves and fishes? The miracle happened in their hands. Could it be, could, could it be that Jesus was actually hoping that the situation would go like this? Okay, I've set you guys up. I showed you the authority to be able to speak to the wind and the waves. The miracle has just happened in your hands. If they had continued to meditate on what had just happened with the feeding of the 5,000, the wind and the waves are coming. We've been here before. Come on, guys. We just, don't you just remember what happened? Come on, Peter, Bartholomew, you remember you'd only had a little chunk of bread. And you fed a whole, a whole section of, a, of 200 people there. I feel like this is a setup. And Jesus is going for a walk. There's my boys. Come on. And this, in the name of Jesus, we command the winds and the waves to stop. But they missed it because they didn't understand about the loaves and the fishes. Come on, he was setting them up. When you are in an atmosphere of the miraculous, it is always an invitation for the renewing of the mind. Now, you know what is interesting? That I've found that, that when you're in an atmosphere where miracles begin to break out, you can actually go one of two places. How many know when, the, when miracles are beginning to pop, that there's a level of faith that begins to, to, to be lifted? And I've been in rooms where, it's, boom, somebody's healed over here, somebody's healed over there, and somebody can see, oh my goodness, they just got healed healed across the room, and so faith begins to be lifted up, and they receive them, their miracle. But on the flip side of it, I've been in, in, in an atmosphere like that. That person got healed, that person got healed, that person got healed, but it only reinforces the fact that I've been in a, a whole bunch of these meetings before, and I haven't gotten healed, and actually reinforces the stronghold, the unbelief. I got two months before I'm going to the Philippines, and I read a book called, uh, by Carolyn Leaf called um, Switch on Your Brain. And she talks about the 21-day detox. How do you know what cognitive dissonance is? It's a psychological term. I'll just read that. Oh, that's not going to, that's all good. I can read it, it's tiny. In psychology, cognitive dissonance is the mental stress, discomfort experienced by a person who simultaneously holds two or more contrary beliefs, ideas, or values when performing an action that contradicts existing beliefs, or ideas, or values. So I held two ideas. I believe that God wants me to be healed, but my experience is when I get prayed for, I don't get healed. So you know what I, I begin to do? On a daily basis, seven minutes every day, 
I begin to, I wake up in the morning, and the first thing that I begin to do, that, you know, they, they say that, before I say that, Carolyn Leaf says that, that uh, unbelief or a stronghold is a toxic thought tree. And if you get a brain, brain scan, you can actually, it looks like a black, it looks like a black tree. You know that you have a toxic thought because there's, there's toxic th there's uh, toxic feelings that you begin to fear or shame or condemnation or unbelief, all these different things. But you can actually unwire these belief systems within 21 days. That every time that you may have a thought that is contrary to the mind of Christ, when that comes to the surface, it becomes malleable. It's called neuroplasticity. That you have the ability to change that thought every time it goes down. And I didn't realize that, that, that this thought was continually being reinforced that God heals through me, but He doesn't heal me. And here I am suffering, but on a daily basis, I'm getting up in the morning and I'm beginning to speak. I thank you, Father, that I've got hope, and hope is going to begin to become substance because faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. I used to think that the evidence was simply in my circumstances, but the evidence isn't in my circumstances. The evidence is in the faith. That when faith is present, you see, when the, when the woman with the issue of blood came to Jesus, the evidence that she was healed according to, to the way that heaven sees it is not, that she, not the moment that the blood dried up, but it was the moment that faith was present, that, he, that basically heaven says, Jesus, good is healed. Faith is the evidence so when faith is present, and this is what happened on the journey, of the 21 days journey, I, I got up in the morning and I begin to quote scripture, but not only quote scripture, I begin to see that become a reality in my life. I believe that that is so absolutely crucial because if hope is an image, a positive image of what is to come, in the past I grew up in the word of faith movement and I was just being blah, 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 and I'd just be speaking scripture, but there was nothing that was actually attached to it. Did you know one of the things that Carolyn Leaf says, that if you do an activity, it actually changes the way that, that your mind operates. It rewires your, your mind. If you imagine yourself doing the same activity, the same changes happen in your mind. They say that they have guys that are shooting three free throws, professional basketball players with the same free throw average. Then, then uh, you know, obviously, they, they know how to do it, but one would be, sh would be shooting free throws just in his imagination and one on the court. After they did that, about 100 free throws, they came back together. Guess who outperformed the other one? The one that pictured it. Why? Because he got it in every single time. Shunk, shunk, shunk. Shunk, shunk. So this is the awesome thing. Okay, I've been prayed for a hundred times, a thousand times, and I hadn't experienced a miracle in my body. But when I begin to picture, Lord, I thank you, Father, that you have healed me, that by your stripes that I am healed. And I begin to picture that becoming a reality that is actually rewiring my brain. And even though I might have been prayed for a hundred times, I can see myself being healed a thousand times. I might have prayed for somebody in a wheelchair 10 times and, and nothing has happened, but how do you begin to deal with that, that curve where it's diminishing faith? You see, even in Romans chapter 4, you see Abraham where his faith actually began to increase in the midst of no child being born. 21 days. When I got to about day 15, 
I'm speaking, Lord, I thank you, Father, that I am healed, that by your stripes that I am healed, that I'm going to be able to eat what, and I would, I would picture myself eating a big, juicy hamburger. <laughs> I, I picture myself eating a, a donut, and also, I don't eat that junk anymore, but, but I was like, I just want to eat something other than bone broth. And be picturing myself living without pain. And guess what? The circumstances were not changing, but I'm like, that's not the evidence. The evidence is that faith is building. This is becoming more of a reality to me. Guess what? After about 10 to 15 days, the unbelief actually surfaced in such a strong way that it is as easy for me to be healed as it is for me to pray for others. And it was like I could just feel this. No. It was like a, a negative, toxic response that had, had surfaced. No. But I'm like, I know that this, we're, we're, it's, it's on the way to being completely and totally obliterated. After 21 days, I think actually it probably was two cycles of about 21 days because it was a pretty deep-rooted belief system. I went to the Philippines I ate burgers, I ate donuts, I drank milk, I did everything. I had, a, I had a couple little just feeling like, just totally honest, feeling like bubbles in my stomach. That was once or twice, that was it. And I have been able to eat, every, I've been able to eat anything since. I've got to put on 12 kilos since then. I wanted to show you the picture of last year. I just wanted to encourage you with that. Will you stand to your feet with me, please? I remember being in a, um, in a meeting with Candace Simmons. How many know who Brian Simmons is? Passion Translation. And Candace Simmons was struggling with some kind of a condition for 30 years. 30 years is a long time, especially if you're, you know, you're an incredible woman of God, traveling with an amazing man of God. And I remember being with her in that worship session, and she's just like, oh, finally, the condition left, just in the atmosphere of worship. 30 years. I believe that we're going to start to see more and more and more of those breakthroughs. You know, this is even, it even applies to, to evangelism. I tell you what, I, I have found myself bound by fear, unable to cross, cross the chicken line to be able to step out. And by actually renewing my mind, I realized that that was a toxic thought. And so on a daily basis, what would I do? I would see myself walking into situations boldly, stepping out, sharing the gospel without fear. Loving on people like crazy. I remember like, I'm like, God, I want to operate out of this place of the fullness of your love. And I, I made it a dedication on a daily basis for seven days to step out. I said, Nathaniel, I want you to keep me accountable. I'm going to step out today. I went out to my local shopping center. I'm like, man, I do not want to step out right now. I don't feel like it. I've got a headache. My neck feels sore. I, I feel like I'm just ticking a box. And I stepped out and Prayed, you'd find I offered to pray for somebody. Somebody got healed. It's like, come on, thank you, Jesus. Then I'm starting to feel compassion a little bit. The following day, it's the same thing. It's like, man, I do not want to go out today. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. On the seventh day, I'm renewing my mind. 
I'm renewing my mind. I'm like, Lord, I thank you, Father, that I'm going to operate out of this place of the depth and compassion of your heart. I remember talking. So I, I, I stepped up, and I, and I stepped out and talk, to talk to this guy. He's a, an elder guy from, uh, from the U.K. He's about 80 years old. And I said, hey, I was wondering if there's anything that I could pray for you. He says, oh, you're a Christian. He said, all priests are pedophiles. Who was, you know, who was Cain's, who, who was um, Cain's wife? You know, who created God? And he's throwing all of these, you know, typical sort of atheist questions. And he was just so full of bitterness. And at the end of it, oh my goodness, because I'd been building it. The compassion, I could feel the compassion of the Father welling in my heart. And at the end of it, he had his, he had his uh, rant he went on this tirade, and I just shook his hand at the end, and I looked him square in the eyes, and I said, you know what? With all my heart, I believe that there's a heaven and hell. I said, I would be the most happiest person on the planet because of this one encounter that when I get to heaven, that I will be able to see you. And tears are starting to stream down my face. This guy was on his tirade. He was on his high horse, and he looks back at me, and it was like he just melted. <laughs> and he says, you guys, might. you're one of the most genuine Christians I've ever met. I said, you know what's interesting? My wife is a Christian. <laughs> and she's been praying for me. <laughs> and it felt just like heaven was just gushing through me. Now, I don't know if he, if he made a decision for Christ, but I think that's very possible that that could have changed his eternal destination. Man, if I could, if I could leave you with one thing, I, I, really encourage, I, I would really encourage you. You know, maybe it's multiple harvesters or something like that, but just if some of you could think about being intentional, like an hour a week, I believe that this thing could just explode like crazy. Will you just pray with me? Father... I thank you for your love. I thank you that faith, that faith is the substance of things unseen and the evidence of things hoped for. Oh, sorry, the other way around. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I want you just to begin to think about something that you are believing for right now. How many have got, how, how many need a miracle in your life? Just wave at me. How many have had disappointment? Or perhaps you've, you've prayed for something and it just felt like God just didn't come through. Can I just share one more, one more quick story? I just want to be really vulnerable. You know, I remember I was in a, a place of, I saw my grandfather die when I was 16 years old. It was 4 a.m. in the morning, opened it up, opened the door up, my grandfather collapsed. I had laid hands on him, tried to raise him from the dead. Uh, it was a pretty gruesome scene, and it stuck in my mind. And because of that, I would have a lot of fear during the night. And, uh, and so when Eliana was born, I remember having these night terror kind of feelings that, that she might just not be breathing anymore. And I remember Candace was fixing the curtains one night and something like that, and she's just like, Joel, help. And I woke up, and my, my, like my heart, I felt like I was close to having a heart attack because I was like, 
what's going on. And she just needed help with the curtain. <laughs> anyway, we got pregnant with number two. And um, after 11 weeks, Candace started showing signs of potential miscarriage. Long story short, I was in the bathroom and I was holding our little baby, 11 weeks old, in, my hand, in the palm of my hand. And we're playing It Is Well With My Soul in the bathroom. And I want to say, at that moment, what I was experiencing, the tears that were streaming down my face weren't tears of grief. They were tears of incredible peace, the comfort of the Holy Spirit that was so tremendously thick in the room. I can still feel it now. Now, I know that God did not take our baby, we assume it's probably a boy, certainly did receive them. But the comfort of the Holy Spirit is there. But how do you go from that into a situation where we're getting pregnant again? And I've already dealt with this fear based because of my grandfather. But the Lord journeyed us through that period of time to continue to grow in faith. And you know what? I experienced so much fear with Eliana, but with Annabelle, the fear has been almost non-existent. And I think that in the natural, going through a miscarriage after that, that you would expect that the fear would be even more. But God in His grace, we know that God didn't take them, but I can continue to renew my mind and believe that even though that I prayed for my grandfather and believed that he would be raised from, the, raised from the dead. I wasn't in the place, but I believe that God is growing me in my faith. That in the same way that Smith Wigglesworth could raise his wife from the dead, and it was her time to go, that God is increasing in that level. That we can, be, we can have these situations, and I'm not going to live in condemnation because of that. But I can continue to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I can actually prove what the perfect will of God is. So what, what are you believing for? What is your miracle that you're believing for? Just reach out to heaven. Lord, we just thank you, Father, that there is a radical transformation of the renewing of our mind in the mighty name of Jesus. You know, in Romans chapter 4, it says, that Abraham called that which was not as though it was. I want you to begin to see what you're believing for as a reality. Some of you have been experiencing pain for many, many years, and it ha just hasn't left. What does it feel like? Maybe some of you have, haven't gone on a run. What does it look like when you're just going for a run and you're totally pain-free? Some of you are believing for, for, uh, for fear to be lifted off your life. A certain circumstance comes up. And I want you just to be picturing yourself in that same circumstance where no fear is. Some of you believe that you're going to begin to, to walk in, in the supernatural boldness and sharing the gospel. Whatever you're believing for right now, I just want you to picture that in the eyes of your heart. That that faith, that hope image, the eager expectation of good would become substance that faith is being released now in the same way that the woman with the issue of blood reached out and touched Jesus' garment, that she was instantaneously healed. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just begin to reach out to him. In a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to celebrate as if it has already been done. Jesus says, if you, if you speak to the mountain, 
be uprooted and cast into the sea, and you believe that it has already been done, it shall be done for you. There's something about anchoring your faith and believing as, it, as if it has, has already been done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Even though I was experiencing excruciating pain in my stomach, I could see it. I could see it. I could see it. I know what it, I could see what it would be like to live free from that terrible, debilitating condition last year. On the count of three, I want you just to lift up the shout of praise as if the breakthrough has already come. Are you ready? I think we're just going to, we're going to do one warm-up, one, and then we're going to do, we're going to do the real deal. Come on, on the count of three. Are you ready? One, two, three. Yes! All right, that was a warm-up now. I want you to see the fullness of the, 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 the exuberance and the celebration as if that miracle has come right now. I believe this is not just hype. This is about an atmosphere of faith that touches heaven. Do you believe that you can begin to access the courts of heaven and begin to see a radical miracles in your life? Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you will and it shall be be done for you. Are you ready? Come on, on the count of three. I want you to see that thing as a reality in your life manifest. Thank you, Father. One, two, three. Come on, just celebrate. Yes! 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 Come on. Come on, Lord. We thank you, Father, for radical breakthroughs in Jesus' name. Lord, for a region that is saturated with your presence and your glory and your power, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a big shout. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. If you have a need for prayer, this altar is always open at the end of the service for prayer. We have leaders here to pray for you and uh, believe God with you for a miracle. Thank you, Joel, so much for that. Praise God. Thanks for coming. God bless you. And um, look forward to seeing you all soon and putting this into practice. See you next week.